Hey, this is Mike Patterson, your host for Embrace Growth. This is a podcast dedicated to personal growth and empowered choices. Helping to create change and transformation in your life and the world. Hey, this week on the show, I speak with my friend Richard Torres from Houston, Texas. Richard has a great awareness of himself and a lot of these shows what I'm pushing for for you the listener is self-understanding is so much of the work the battle into personal growth work so as you listen to this episode Richard shares his story so authentically and courageously it's it's inspiring to me how well he knows himself and yet he still struggles with perfectionism which is what this episode's about i really enjoyed just chatting with richard and i hope you enjoy this too stick around Hey, Richard, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Good to be here. Hey, everybody. Today, I'm talking with my friend Richard Torres from Houston, Texas. And Richard, I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce yourself to the people. Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, I've been lots of things. I was a chef for about 20 years. I guess I still am a chef, but I don't do it professionally anymore. For the last 10 years, I've worked for the Mankind Project, either as a center director or area administrator for South Central or Houston. And for the last three years, two years, I've worked at MKP USA at the national level. And I'm the operations circle lead and area administrator consultant and all around kind of fingers and lots of things, guys. Thanks, Richard. And... Everybody, what Richard hasn't told you is that he's also a leader trainer and a certified co-leader for the New Warrior Training Adventure. And Richard and I, we spend a lot of time talking about leadership since that's my my bag. We, we have great conversations. And what are we talking about today, Richard? So I want to talk about perfectionism and perfection shadows. Mm. It, it's the... Uh, it's the big thing I'm struggling with right now in my leadership. Nice. Nice. Well, thanks for, first of all, talking about your struggles. This idea that we as leaders don't have struggles and challenges is insane. And last week uh, I was having a conversation with a man from the UK about his shadows mission. And we've, you know, and then I talked with Tony Wilkinson a few months ago about shadow. So the, the listeners are really starting to get this concept of shadow and you mentioned the perfectionism shadow. So what is that for you? So the perfectionism shadow is, it comes from that part of me that wants to be loved, right? I want to be loved. So I prove myself so hard to you that I'm lovable that I have to be perfect in all things. And so I have to strive to do and do and do, but not just do, I have to do it right. 
And so in that, um, it's very much in line with my shadow's mission, um, which is to create a world of hate and chaos by lying, cheating, stealing, and fucking you over first. God damn. I don't want to come across your shadow, man. It's bad. It's bad. But what's great about you mentioning all of that is to listeners, especially if, if this is your first time here listening to this conversation, personal growth work, leadership, which I believe is all-encompassing, it takes a really, really brutal, honest look at one's self. And so the idea that, Richard, you can spell out your shadow's mission so clearly, know that it's it's that dark, and to know that you have this part of you that wants to be perfect, even though my listeners know that there's no such thing. Exactly. But that you know that you you want that because underneath that, it's about being loved. Mm-hmm. So that's a great, honest assessment. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a mess, right? It is. There's one of the things, um, and for the listeners, if you go back and listen, Joey Cardella and I had a conversation about Tony Robbins' Six Basic Human Needs. It's part of uh, a training that, that we teach at Leader Champions. This idea of um, significance, which is one of our basic human needs, that I know for me, if I'm not conscious, my need for significance and other code words would be like to be important, to be unique, to be special, to, yeah, it's significance. I want to be different than the next guy. And if that, what's really interesting about that human need is a lot of times what people really want is the need of love and connection. Like if I'm important, if I'm just important enough, maybe I'll be loved. If I'm significant enough, maybe I'll be loved. And so what you're saying is if you're perfect, then you could be loved. Exactly. And also, and what I've learned about studying the Enneagram a little bit as an eight, what I really want is to be safe, right? That's my, that's my need. My need is to be safe. And so if you love me, I'm probably safe. And if I'm acting perfect, I'm probably safe, right? How I want to be described, I want to be described as loyal. Right. Because it's something I respect, right? I want to be respected. And so I act loyal and I'm hoping everybody else is loyal. But if you're not loyal to me, it's a threat to my safety, right? And so I can... If I feel threatened or my safety feels threatened because you're disloyal, I'm very vengeful, right? And that's that eight Enneagram part of me that really wants to strike out and hurt people. Yeah, thanks for that. And also for for those that are listening that don't know what the fuck the Enneagram is, uh, me and a man named Rick Goldberg discussed the Enneagram. You can go back and, and listen to that podcast as well. So Richard, tell us, a story about you. So thanks for sharing the eight and the safety and the need to be loved. Is there a time in your leadership maybe where you noticed this perfectionist shadow or just perfectionism in general showed up, you were unconscious and 
maybe things went sideways. Can you think of something in there or maybe any story about perfectionism? So there's, there's plenty of those, uh, unfortunately. Um, the thing about my perfectionist shadow is I not only want myself to be perfect, I expect you to be also. So in my leadership, if in my leadership, it creates a false expectation in others. I expect everybody else has the same skills that I do, emotional, intelligence, physical. And so if I'm judging you based on what I know about myself and I've done years of work on myself, I'm automatically going to set you up for failure. And so in my leadership, if I don't step-by-step teach you how to succeed in the job I'm asking you to do, I'm setting you up for failure. There's no way you're going to hit the level of perfection that I want. And then I failed, I failed you as a leader or a mentor by not giving you the tools or the instructions to actually do the job well. So one of probably one of the best examples of that, I was leading the training, co-leading the training in Mexico. And one of my mentees was assigned to be a carpet leader for his first time. This man was going to be the carpet leader, which means he was going to run a small team of about 10 people. And he was going to help facilitate some participants, take a look at their what's working and what's not working in their life. And I looked at him, good friend of mine, and I said, uh, Javon, go ahead and just set up the circle and, and get them all set up and go through, get, get your music set up, get you, get a data person set up, pick your teams and, and I'll be there in 10 minutes. And I walked out the door and I expected him to know exactly what to do. And so I came back seven minutes later and they're all sitting there. And I just looked at him, I said, dude, what the hell are you doing? And he goes, you didn't give me the instructions I needed to do it. You just told me to go do it, but I didn't know how to do it. This is my first time and you knew that, right? And so he was angry because I set him up for failure. And then I came back and said, well, dude, what's going on? And my perfectionist shadow likes to get big because it wants to make you small when you let me down, because now I'm frustrated. And so um, instantly I see his anger and this is how insidious the perfectionist shadow is. Because I I do have empathy, right? Mm -hmm. As soon as I see the look on his face that I've let him down, I go straight to shame, right? Because now I've failed as a leader I failed him. I failed the whole team of those 10 men. And I wasted seven minutes time because I expected so much out of him, but didn't teach him and didn't share what I knew. So that's a really good example. Yeah, that is a great example. Thank you for that. The tools that I teach are constantly is as leaders, it's our job to take care of those that we're leading bottom line. And so I love the way that you spelled out. Yeah. I didn't give him what he needed, 
and I set them up to fail and et cetera, et cetera. So the false expectation is spot on for you. What's interesting is what might be confusing for the listeners. We talk about shadow, the parts of ourself we hide, repress, and deny. And yet you're very well aware. Okay. So we're referring to it as your perfectionist shadow, but it's not really in shadow for you. You're aware of it. I am aware of it. I wasn't always right. Um, and so here's another story as a chef being, um, being a perfectionist as a chef enabled me to work in super high end restaurants where you had to, everything you touched had to be perfect. And I was probably touching 200 to 300 plates a night that went out perfectly, that looked beautifully, that were cooked to perfection, had a chef eyeballing every one of them. And occasionally a plate or two came back a night, but out of 300, that's pretty close. In that situation, I was taught and trained exactly what to do by highly skilled chefs to teach me as another chef on what to do step by step by step to create the perfect plate and the outcome that was expected. So I got proper training, right? When that didn't happen, when I was new in my career in the culinary industry, I was the tyrant chef. I was the epitome of the tyrant chef that threw tongs, that yelled, that made waitresses and waiters cry, right? And it wasn't even a French restaurant, it was Italian, but I was the classic angry French chef. And then I can look back now and go, that was my perfectionist shadow. And also just, I was a tyrant, but, um, and I thought that's what chefs were supposed to be because that's what I read about and that's what I saw in the books. So I didn't know it was my shadow then. Looking back, I can say that. So years of working on myself, I didn't know I had a perfectionist shadow the first two or three years of doing personal work. I do now, but I've been doing this since 2007. So I can recognize my behavior patterns and I've learned where they come from. And it's the original wound. And the original wound being? For me, abandonment. I'm an adopted child. And so I wasn't worth keeping, right? So I wasn't loved. So I've been fighting to be loved my whole life since 10 days old when I was ripped away from the only thing I knew for nine months, right? That smell, that heartbeat, that energy. And then it was gone, right? The adoptive child has a huge abandonment wound that it's always trying to fill. Got it. Thank you so much for that. And I'm sure that there's some listeners right now having some epiphanies just listening to your story. So thanks for that. The idea that these parts of yourself that you hide, repress, deny are running behaviors because of the belief, or as you said, the core wound What's interesting to me as, again, a person who's done plenty of personal growth work, who used to struggle with perfectionism, and some of the tools that I have, I'm listening to these stories that you're sharing. It's apparent to me, but I'm wondering if the listeners are picking up on these different things. So 
what I like is that, yes, so you're yelling and screaming and throwing things around the kitchen. And what was that about? I mean, I know that you were angry, right? Things weren't perfect, but if we were to drop underneath it, not all the way to the core wound, but what's underneath you having a tantrum in the kitchen? So it's a leadership thing, I believe, right? And so as the chef or the leader of the team, I'm expected to put out something beautiful and perfect, right? And, and I've always believed in it's it's a concept in in the restaurant industry of of energy right i'm not only you're eating the energy of the food but you're also eating the energy that i'm putting in as i prepare the food right and so if somebody on my team is failing me failing me then i'm failing and i can't fail right and so i expect them to function as highly as I do. And that's not always the case. So you can't fail. What happens if you fail? If I fail? Oh, I'm worthless. I, it, but it goes back to that core wound, right? If I, I, if I fail, you're not going to love me and you're giving, you're going to abandon me. You're going to go away, right? And, and look how close that is in the restaurant industry. If I fail because I serve you something burnt, you're going to go away and never come back to my restaurant. It proves this belief, this theory that lives in you. Wow. Okay. So you switched industries. That's good news. <laughs> <laughs> I love being a chef. I miss being part of that machine that functions. It's like being one of the cylinders in a 12-cylinder Ferrari right? It, that functions perfectly at 6,000 RPMs. As I've done my work around perfectionism, I, I changed the word. So I don't use the word perfect anymore. And I'm noticing how much you use this word. And I, and I changed the word. Do you know what the word I use now is? No. I use the word excellence. Mm-hmm. And I use it interchangeably with the word perfect because I used to say perfect all the time. And now I say, I strive for excellence. We're looking for excellence out of the team. As a leader, I want you to be excellent. And so as a chef, I would want the meal to be excellent. I would want it to be excellently executed. I want the presentation to be excellent, et cetera. And I think there's a different feel to that word. But what I know about myself is if I'm in shadow, it's just interchange. I'm still looking for perfect because what I do, what I do is I hold the bar so high that nobody will ever reach it. That's my shadow. Mm -hmm. And I let people know if I'm leading a team. I let them know, Hey, this is my shadow. If you're on my team, I'm holding the bar so high, you will never reach it. And I expect you to. And then, then I'll cut you down. And I, I let them know that. And, and people that haven't been on my team before, they're like, what the hell? And I'm like, all right, look, I'm telling you this so that you can call me out because mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to set you up for that and then cut you off at the knees. And if I do, please call me out on it. 
because it lives in me. And when I go unconscious, that's what I do. I totally understand that one. And I do it both ways, right? I don't just do it on the people that I'm leading. I do it up also, right? If you're leading me and I respect you, I'm going to elevate you so high and put you up on such a big pedestal so that on your first mistake, I can take your knees out and watch you fall. That's so funny. So where I'm at on my leadership path within the Mankind Project is that I'm totally in my own mind right now, a full certified leader. And I have not jumped through the hoop yet to get that mantle. But what I do is just what you said, except I do it privately in my own mind. So I want to be clear on that. All of this stuff that I say that I do goes on in my head. It doesn't come out. Please still have me on your weekends, Martin Marks. Please, right? All the full leaders out there, I still want to be on your weekend. I'm not going to take out your knees. I promise. This is just, these are the thoughts I have. It's the, the insidious shadow thoughts. But I've learned out, out of recognizing that in myself, right? I've learned not to elevate those men to those levels where I expect them to be perfect because it's so not fair to them, right? And so in that empathy that I've learned to respect other leaders, I've learned that for myself that I don't have to be perfect. And so when I'm on a weekend now, yeah, excellence. I think I said Martin Mark's name because I was thinking about him because he's told me that on a weekend. Taurus, quit shooting for perfection. Just try to be excellent. It's good. It's good. Be excellent. Which is awesome. So the listeners, uh, Martin's been on the podcast uh, at least twice now. And Martin and I do all kinds of leader trainings together. Martin is a one on the Enneagram for those of you that now you're going to want to listen to the Enneagram episode if you haven't already. So Martin, part of that one personality is perfection. The one really wants things. They, they're rule followers. They, they want things to be perfect. And when they're not, it throws them off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as long as we're calling out people by name, but hopefully those are people, they, they're people that have been on the show, but they're also people that are listeners to the show. So we can have a good laugh behind the scenes, everybody. So you've mentioned empathy a couple of times, and I love that you've mentioned this because what I know, and I'll just talk about my personal growth work journey here, I struggled from perfectionism. And so my whole thing was, if I could do it perfect, when I used to use that word, then you wouldn't see how broken I am because I was so scared of my brokenness, or I'll just call it my shame, rather than to talk to anybody about shame, I would strive for perfection. And if it wasn't there, when you talk about yelling and screaming and throwing stuff in the kitchen, yes, I would get angry because now I want to point out your flaws, I'll shame and blame you rather than you look at me and see any of my brokenness. I was a horrible leader <laughs> before I started doing all this work. I was a horrible leader and and I loved leading. It got to fill up, well, as 
as Martin Lassoff says, it got to butter my toast, right? Mm-hmm. A little jam on my toast. I loved the attention, but I was a horrible leader because I looked at this idea of perfection. But more importantly, I didn't want anybody to see my shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I always, uh, I didn't ever say I was broken, toxic. I was so toxic that I could ruin you just by being around you, which is very much just shame, right? That I just, I am so ashamed of myself and my shame is so overpowering that just by being next to you, my shame can seep over and ruin you also, right? And that's that cover up um, piece is very much of not wanting people to see that I'm ashamed. Right. So I understand that. And it it's taken me years of of working on myself to get to that point to believe that I'm not that person I used to be. And I do believe I, I used to be toxic, right? Probably when I was an alcoholic cocaine addict as a chef, I was probably pretty toxic. That's one of the when you said why were you yelling? I was probably hung over, right? But um a long time ago, when I worked in a record industry, uh, I worked for my father and something happened. And one of the VPs of the company took something I said the wrong way. They thought it was a uh, very nepotistic from what I said, but it wasn't right. I was talking about their other VP, but they thought I was talking about my dad. So my dad fired me. Well, you're speaking a bit cryptically. So, so dive into the story a little bit more. Okay, so I was working as part of the sales team and there were two VPs of sales and they were at equal levels. One of them was teaching me, my dad ran the company. It was a record industry called Justice, or a record company called Justice Records. So one of the VPs said, I need you to do this and why don't you learn this? I said, great, no problem. I'll learn it from my other boss, which I meant the other VP, right? Who was teaching me. She thought I meant, oh, I'll just ask my dad, right? And so I get pulled into the office and she's there. My dad goes, look, you're a cancer in the company. I got to, I got to cut you out, right? That stuck with me for years. Toxic, cancer, those, that right in there. This was my early twenties before I'd even heard of any personal work, um, right? Uh, and so what did I do? I did exactly what he told me not to do. Don't go on tour with that band you just signed. It's a really bad idea. What did I do? I went on tour for six months. I got to see Europe. It was a great experience. But uh, yeah, so toxicity, the cancer, the belief that I'm not good was strong because of my original wound and then reinforced because of my own behavior because of the shadow wound. And then that belief took years to get over. And the only way to get over it was to shine the light on the shame, right? Really look at it. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's one of the most interesting things about, I'll call it perfectionism. I'll call it narcissism is that people that are narcissists never know. People that are perfectionists 
don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. And the idea that it's tied to our shame is real easy to overlook. What? Shame? I'm not ashamed of anything. Let me tell you all of my successes and the way I get things done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Look at Ramsey on Hell's Kitchen, right? Oh, you're a stupid sandwich as he smacks bread on their ears, right? The tyrant chef is loved in the industry still for some reason. It's okay to be that angry, tyrant, horrible person. You're respected. If you're not that, you're weak. Yeah. And I'm in the leadership industry where we just had an outgoing president that used to have a show called The Apprentice that would just fire everybody. And that was his MO. And that's what people think leadership is, a lot of people. And so when he's the leader of our country, he just put all that into practice. How many different people did he just cut off and let go as a tyrant? Now, I'm not going to say he's a narcissist, but I'm going to (laughs) just plant the seed. That's all. I'm not even going to go down that road with you, but we could, we, that's a whole nother show. That's a whole nother show. There's in, in my growth and in my leadership, I've recognized that it's hugely important for me, especially with my, my mentees. So I I mentee about 10, 10 men in in the mankind project on leadership track. And when I recognize that they're in that space of being in a shame spiral or realizing they screwed up and they're avoiding, I have to reach out to them in a way that's inviting. And I have to be, I have to be the compassionate one. And if I can show them some empathy from the start, it gives them the opportunity to release just enough shame to possibly look at the growth opportunity. If I leave them there, it just reinforces the shame. Oh, well, he doesn't love me either. He, he doesn't want it. He, do, he saw me screw up and he doesn't even want to deal with me, right? And so they sit there and they wait and they wait and they wait and they don't reach out for weeks. It takes the leader to, to do the reaching out. Give me a real example. Um, I'd rather I'd rather do it in reverse, but you want the real example for that one? Well, I, I think that, again, I know what you're talking about, but if you can tell a story of an example, it would really clarify it for some of the listeners. Okay, so one of my mentees from a while ago um, needed to write a letter to uh, a leader body so that they could request something and they could, uh, they, they could get the opportunity to do something. Well, so let me point out, just because the word mentee doesn't exist, a more accurate word for, for the listener would be a protege. So you are a mentor. We mentor people, but the word mentee is a made-up word that we use within the Mankind Project. It's a protege. It's somebody we're mentoring. All right, continue. 
And I gave him a deadline and he didn't write the letter. He didn't, he was supposed to write the draft of the letter, send it to me so I could look at it, give him some suggestions before he sent it. And the deadline passed when he was supposed to send it, send it to me. So a week after the deadline, I texted him. Hey, hey, what happened to that letter? No response. Another week goes by. I sent him an email. Hey, I texted you last week and you didn't respond. What's going on? No response. So the third week, right? We're just three weeks from the deadline now. I call him and he picks up. Hey, what's going on with you? Why, why didn't you text me or email me back? Oh, man, I let you down. So mm. You didn't let me down. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm, I'm here to support you and help you. How can I do that? And he goes, oh, wow. I feel so relieved because I thought you were going to yell at me because I do yell, right? I yell. I get big. I'll call you out on stuff if you ask for it. I'm not going to berate you if you don't want the feedback. But if you want some feedback, I'll cut you pretty good. I'll give you some some sharp criticism is what I mean by cutting. Um, it's usually helpful if you're prepared for it. Um, but in this situation, to do that to him was not what he needed. What he needed was a hand back up. Hey, do you still want to do this? Right. Do you still want my support in this process? Right. And it wasn't about, do you still want my support? Because if you don't, I'm just going to bail on you. It was about, do you want my support in this specific process? I was talking to one of my mentors today and um, he goes, the best thing you can tell your mentees when you tell them no, is that you're not telling them no. You're telling them no to what they asked for. And there's a difference, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The, the little, the child in us gets angry when it hears no, especially if it wants something really bad. But if we get told no and get slapped on the hand because we think we did something bad and there's shame attached to it, now the no isn't about the thing. It's about us, right? And when the no becomes about us, it hurts. Yeah. But sometimes the no is not about us. It's just about the thing that we ask for. And we don't always get what we want. You know, it's so important that you spelled that out. I do do the same thing with guys that I'm mentoring. We go through this, uh, it's sometimes a gruesome process. We call a hot seat that a panel of people determine whether or not you can advance in your leadership at different stages. And we don't tell that person that's trying to advance in their leadership. We don't tell them no. We actually give them the verdict of your time is now or not now. What people that get a not now usually hear is no. That's what they hear. And so before they go and go through this process, I let them know this isn't about you. Whatever is determined by this group of people, it has nothing to do with you as a human. It may have very little to do with your leadership. It has to do with how you show up during this 20-minute process. And that's all, period. 
So whatever the answer is, it just is about that 20 minutes. Do not make it about your entire life or you as a human. <laughs> because if you if your time is now, I don't want you to be so inflated because these guys let you go. And if you, your time is not now, I don't want you to be so deflated as if you're worthless. So yeah, it's a great analogy of no, the slap on the hand of the little boy. <laughs> yeah, great analogy. I've gotten one not now. It hurt. It, I took it personally. I thought it was about me. And the bonus part, hey, Mike, how many not nows have you gotten? I've gotten about three. Three? Oh, wow. Okay. And each time, because I, I did have good mentoring, each time when I got a not now, I said, okay, cool. What is there for me to learn in this? Please. I believe that the collective wisdom that you people see is more than I'm seeing in myself. And the last not now that I got was really about how I showed up in that 20 minutes. And I was like, got it. And so next time around, not a problem. But yeah, it's, I, I think there's more to learn from my mistakes than there is from my successes. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. If, if I'm open to it, it's that growth opportunity. Yeah. Growth opportunity. If I'm open, if I'm open. So what's, what's lovely is we've talked about perfectionism. We've talked about narcissism. We've talked about shame and we've talked about empathy. And before I ping back on the empathy, I want to share a story and this might be tricky, but last year, this time, February, before the world shut down, we were all together in Texas, there was a North American leader body gathering. There was a man that stood up to talk to all of us leaders about narcissism. And it was hilarious, the stories that came out of that, because we know who the narcissists are in leadership. And so you're raising your hand <laughs> But what was so beautiful about that lecture, that, that keynote speaking, was to spell out how all of this stuff is rooted in shame. And he, he went so far as to talk about the difference between a thick-skinned narcissist and a thin-skinned narcissist. And I don't want to spell all that out because I actually want to in, invite him onto the show and have that conversation but what's amazing is the tools were the same tools that I teach in shame resilience. They're the same tools that are spelled out by a woman by the name of Teresa Wiseman from uh, Wellesley. And she's kind of the, the leading edge of empathy. Even Brene Brown uses Teresa's work. So I'm going to spell out the four attributes of empathy as some things that we can then round out this conversation. So the first attribute of empathy is to see the world as another person sees it. And that's awesome. You talked about when this guy finally answered the phone, you, you knew where he was, you knew why he wasn't calling you back. And so you put yourself in his shoes. Awesome. To see the world 
as another sees it. The second one would be to withhold judgment of someone else's experience. And again, you practice that. Number three is to understand another person's feelings. Well, we got to find out what they feel. And then to understand them isn't mean that we had the same experience. But if we know what they feel, chances are pretty good we can go to a point in our life where we felt that way so that we can meet them where they're at. And then the fourth attribute is just to communicate your understanding of that person's feeling back to them or just active listening, as I like to call it. Those four pieces are empathy, period. And what's awesome is the story you tell about this man that didn't write the letter. You practiced all four attributes. I don't think I was always empathetic. I don't think, I think I could always do level one pretty easy, but it was very hard for me to do levels two and three because I had kind of walled off all my feelings, right? The only one I really expressed was, was anger and everything else kind of just got stuffed down. Even now, nowadays, um, it's hard for me to recognize fear as fear because I, it feels to me just like anger. And so I have to really mentally process it to go, Oh, wait a second. I'm not mad. I'm afraid. Right. Because the feeling is so I'm, I don't have a lot of flight in me. I've got a lot of fight. Funny little piece about what Mike just brought up. So the thick skinned narcissist as, as that keynote speaker is pointing out personalities in the room, all of the thick skinned narcissists, and the thin-skinned narcissists were all sitting together in the front row. And a few of us got called out by name. I'm one of the thick-skinned narcissists. It was hilarious. It was so hilarious because there was an incident, and all of us that were on that leader team, I was one of them, there was an incident where everybody on that leader team of a training that took place in Florida came up. What we didn't know was behind the scenes, the full leader of that training decided to reach out to one of his good friends for some advice, some consultation. The funniest part of that whole story wasn't spoken in the room. It was when me and you talked afterwards that you happened to be in the car with that man when he received the phone call. Mm-hmm. We were driving to Austin. <laughs> we were going to teach a guts training. Oh, so when one narcissist calls another to verify that they are right, <laughs> right <laughs> it's the perfect storm. It's the perfect narcissistic storm. So it was just great that here we are listening to the way out, right? The antidote for narcissism is the idea of empathy. That actually the idea of narcissism is rooted deeply in our shame. And I'll just say it right now to the listeners. If you are a leader, please do some work on shame. <laughs> because mm -hmm. even if you believe you don't have a lot of shame, if you think, well, I struggle with perfectionism or, yeah, I guess I've been called a narcissist before. It's all rooted in shame. And even if you truly don't have shame, 
the idea of understanding shame, understanding empathy will help you as a leader so much to work with those that you're leading. So for example, when Richard knows that this guy disappears, he didn't know that the man disappeared because he was afraid of letting down Richard. He just knew that the man disappeared. And whatever story could be made up, I instantly made up the story. The guy went to shame. I had no idea it was about letting you down. I thought that he just didn't do it, felt like shit about himself, and crawled into a hole. That's where I went with it because I'm I'm a survivor of toxic shame. <laughs> yeah. The, it, the toxic shame is so powerful, right? that we we have to trap it in that little box or whatever it is that keeps growing because we keep stuffing in it. And the shame grows itself because our behavior goes sideways, which creates more shame that we keep stuffing in, stuffing in, stuffing in, right? And as we're stuffing that down, we learn to stuff everything else down, right? And the only things that come out usually are those super intense ones that we can't hold back, whether it's anger or grief, right? Or, or fear, like really, really, really huge fear, life-threatening fear, right? Th- those things aren't boxable. You can't box grief. You could try. Mm-hmm. One, of my, one of my great friends says grief's like a river. You have to throw yourself in it, and you have to get to the end of the river by just letting it take you. And at the end of the river of grief is the ocean of joy. But if you try to fight up that river, you're going to drown. There's no direction and you can't direct it. It's overpowering. Good point. Good point. So yeah, the, the narcissist, you're going to see the anger and the shaming and blaming, which comes out of usually fear, fear to one's ego, fear to one's emotions, fear to be vulnerable. And really what it's, so if, if you're on the other end of this, right, you work for a narcissist, your partner's a narcissist, blah, blah. Okay. Understand empathy is your friend. Empathy is your friend because maybe using these four attributes, you can talk them down off the ledge. Mm-hmm. And it's alleged that they got you out there with them, right? They're not, they're not going to jump. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to push you. They're going to push you. Don't get pushed. Get off the ledge. This has been such a great conversation. I I know we've we've gone off on a few different tangents. How can we concisely recap this to to point out to the listener what we want to point out about perfectionism here? definitely to repeat that it doesn't exist right it doesn't exist it's a concept that's not attainable in ourselves and that the the driving force to it it is the core wound or the behavior that's that's created the toxic shame right if i have to prove to you so much that i'm perfect to cover up that thing that i see in myself that i believe is so bad and so ugly that i don't want you to see it that's the thing I need to work on. I can't, because I'm never going to prove it to myself 
that I'm perfect because of that inside of me. And if I can't prove it to me, I can't prove it to anybody, right? So it's, it's kind of that old cliche. I have to learn to love me first, all of me, the good and the bad. And I have to let go of those parts of me that, that think I'm the bad, I'm the toxic, I'm the cancer, right? I'm the broken. Because when I can release that and see my wholeness and my goodness, I don't have to prove anything anymore, right? And that's where leadership, where true good leadership comes from. When I know that I'm capable, then I can step into my sovereign and I can lead from that place of the goodness. Mm. Well said, man. Bravo. That was a great recap. Ah, so the work continues. Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm not done yet. (laughs) I'm excellent or almost excellent. I'm almost excellent. Yeah, I strive for excellence every time, every time. And and I do hold a high bar, but uh, I want to bring people along with me. And I want to, as a leader, give them what they need so that they can be excellent too. Well, I think you're doing that right now, Mike. What one of my wants is that Mike becomes a full leader in the Mankind Project, and I'm still a co-leader so that I can go follow Mike and see his leadership and learn from his leadership because I respect his leadership. And then there's definitely something I can learn from him. Right. And so that's one of my hopes. Thanks for that. Thanks. That was that was a beautiful blessing. I appreciate that. There's a couple of things I want to say that are coming up. One is there's a shame resilience training for men offered by leader champions that is um, going to fill real quick because we're only allowing 12 people in it and it's in March. You can find it at leaderchampions.com and sign up. And it's a great way to look at these things that we're talking about. So if you suffer from perfectionism, narcissism and think that there's no shame there. Or if you want to learn more about narcissism, perfectionism, because there's somebody that you're close to in your life, whatever the reason, shame, resilience for men, leaderchampions.com. The other thing I want to know, Richard, is what services you want to provide to our listeners and how they can get a hold of you. So, Right now, I think the thing that I'd really like to put out there is if you're interested in diversity training, whether you're a man or a woman or other gender, uh, it's all gender training, um, unpacking power, privilege, and difference. It's open to anybody, whether you're part of the Mankind Project or not. You can sign up for it. It's eight weeks long. Uh, I took it in October in the personal stories that I heard in that training really helped me understand more so that I could improve my empathy muscles, right? Or whatever that empathy bandwidth to hear the stories of others and the pain they've went through helps me to be able to relate and also to share my own pain from my, from my diversity spaces where I'm not the historically um, majority person right there's i grew up in a hispanic household uh my all of my adaptive family is hispanic my 
So coming from that space and recognizing my own oppression stuff that's inside of me was helpful to release shame around that of not speaking Spanish, not learning that from my, my, from my grandmother, not being able to speak to some of my cousins um, and letting go of that shame. Super helpful. So if you'd like to find out more of that, you can contact me at Richard Torres, T-O-R-R-E-S at MKP.org. And um, if you'd like to learn more about the Mankind Project, I'm happy to take phone calls for that also. 832-885-8834. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate being here. You're brave putting your phone number out there on the air. I usually just ask for uh, email. But I want to ping back on power, privilege, and difference. You said it's eight weeks long. How? What's the commitment for the eight? <laughs> Once a week, three hours a night. Um, usually, there's usually one offered on a Sunday night. Sometimes there's a Saturday night. Usually they, they're trying to do a weeknight one, but it's three hours once a week for eight weeks. And it's a deep dive into sexism, racism, homophobia, transphobia, classism, ableism, um, really getting to look at all of that. And it's not just the participants in the room talking about themselves. If, if there's a training that doesn't, it doesn't have any trans people in it, then a, a couple are invited to come speak as invited, invited voices. So there's always going to be somebody in the room that has experienced the topic of the night. And so that you can hear um, something deep and personal and uh, the breakout rooms and that uh, of the personal experiences that each of us share. Um, everybody's got a story. Everybody, everybody's got a story. And the more of them I hear, the more empathetic I can be. Wow, that sounds super powerful. Thanks for that. Well, Richard, thanks so much for being here for this conversation, for who you are on the planet as a human being, uh, for being my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Everybody, thanks again for listening to another episode of Embrace Growth. This episode was brought to you by the Mankind Project. We talked a lot about the Mankind Project, different things they got going on. Richard's one of the main people working behind the scenes for that organization. It's all, everything they got going on is available at mankindproject.org. Today was also brought to you by Leader Champions. Leader Champions offers one-on-one coaching, online group coaching, personal growth work, trainings, leadership trainings. It's all available at leaderchampions.com. New episodes appear every Monday, so you can start off your week in a good way. If you'd also leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast it helps other people find the show and if you go ahead and subscribe you won't miss out on any upcoming episodes until next monday please embrace your own personal growth work and support others to embrace theirs take care